0: Buckle up for an unfiltered dose of comedy.
1: Full disclosure, I've had a lot of sex, but honestly, having sex
0: with me is like buying a Prius. It's much quieter than you'd expect. <laughs> Epics presents Unprotected Sex. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Hi there. My name is John Paul Kermy. I am a breathwork teacher.
0: I'm really excited to be doing this new podcast with my good friend Feldy called Hang Up.
2: That's right. I'm John Feldman. I'm in a band called Goldfinger. John Paul taught me breathwork. It changed my
0: life. We're talking about solutions to problems today. Listen to Hangups on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Lips, LA. Hey guys, welcome to the show. It's Scott Lips and I am coming to live today from New York City at the Sonos Studio. So pretty exciting to be here. This studio rocks. Actually, it's my favorite speakers in the whole world. Um, this studio in particular is pretty awesome because they have like reel-to-reels in the studio and old cassette tapes. It's making me a bit nostalgic, which is cool. This week has been very fun in New York and it makes me um, just remember how much I do miss New York quality people, how nostalgic it is for me to be back here, and just the uh, the great overall feeling, the energy in New York is unbelievable. And on today's show, we have Mr. Nur Khan, an old friend of mine, a great friend of mine, part of my New York posse, I guess you would say. You've actually heard me speak about him on the show before. Nur is responsible for, actually, he's the purveyor of cool in uh, New York nightlife for many, many, many years in New York. Nurse started the Rose Bar many years ago in New York, which for me was still the coolest spot to ever uh, go uh, that I've ever been, actually. It was this amazing amalgamation of um, sort of celebrities and musicians and politicians, and I've never been in a space like that ever before in my life. I don't think it's ever going to be recreated the energy, the time period. He's got a new spot, Butterfly. He is an awesome guy and uh, one of my favorite people in New York, and part of the reason why. New York is as cool as it is. So, we are being brought to you live, as I said, from the Sono Studios today in Soho, New York, on Green Street. Make sure that you rate and review the show on iTunes. It's super helpful for us. And uh, tell a friend, tell two friends, tell five friends about the show. That's actually super helpful for the show to uh, have a ton of traction and go viral and everything. So, make sure you tell a ton of friends about the show, rate it, review it on iTunes. Super helpful. And uh, walking in in just a second, Mr. Nurcon.
1: You're listening to Lips LA with Scott Lips.
0: Cool. So, um,. Here he is, the one and only, Mr. Nur Khan, my good friend. I actually called you the purveyor of cool of New York City nightlife. That's amazing.
2: I've never heard that before.
0: I made that up. A- aficionado. Um, or... And Nur and is a close friend, as I have mentioned to you guys before he got here. But I will say, Nur, you know, what's amazing about you. And I, there's so many stories that we're going to get into. I actually even forgot before you walked in that you are the reason why I play drums with Courtney Love. <laughs> I, I don't know how I forgot I, that. I, and, and we're going to get into that for sure.
2: Funny. I, yeah, I mean... That was your 10-year anniversary of it one was. management, I think, right?
0: It was, but actually you are, I would say, solely responsible for that uh, moment in, in my life and, and how it's 10 years later we're still sitting this here was, talking about yeah, it. Yeah,
2: this was a hero ballroom. You were supposed to have your 10-year anniversary for your agency. Wait, wait, save
0: that story because we've okay. got to talk about right. your whole history here. Okay. But, right but for go. those of you who can't see <laughs> us, I will tell you that Nur has walked in looking like he always does. I, I, don't, I think I've seen you in shorts once <laughs> in my whole life. You've got, uh, he's the king of cools. I'm actually in shorts every day. Well, I know when you're like doing your martial arts, but right now it could be like 11 o'clock at night because you got the rings, you got the leather jacket, your signature. This is like the signature Nur look, which is great because it's 11 a.m. or 1030, whatever it is. So I love that. Um, But anyway, for those of you who don't know, Nur, I gave you an illustrious uh, intro before you got here. We're old, old friends. You're responsible for me playing Courtney's band, but you actually kind of, for me, have helped run and create the best part of New York City Nightlife for many, many years. Without you, I would say I I definitely experienced my best um, years going out and the energy and excitement of what New York Nightlife was during the Rose Bar years. What were the years of Rose Bar?
2: That was uh, 2006. Well, I was there uh, until the hotel got sold. So it was 2006 to 2010.
0: So those four years will never be recreated. I mean, you have an amazing thing now, and it's incredible, by the way. We'll speak about Butterfly New York. But for whatever reason, that point in time stays in my memory. 2006 to 2010 is the best years ever of New York nightlife. And I wasn't around during your wax Mm -hmm. and sway, so we'll get into the whole (laughs) stuff. But your journey is a pretty interesting one. You actually have done everything from living with monks to, uh, you started in finance, I believe, and what's interesting in the whole show, I think you know, is about there is really about how you started your path, your journey, and today at Butterfly and where you've been. So take us back to the finance years for a little bit, right? And how you lived with monks and all that stuff, and like your first foray <laughs> into the nightlight world because we're great friends, and so we never really talk about this, but um, it's an interesting story. I mean, I don't, I don't have any other friends that lived with monks and started like New York City nightlife as we know it today. So.
2: That's funny. Um, well, if we want to get back to the finance, uh, I was actually commuting and working on Wall Street as uh, a trader, assistant trader when I started. And um, I found this amazing old decrepit movie theater. It must have been closed for like a 100 years, but it was a really cool one with the mezzanines, you know, like the old Academy Theater. So, even,
0: it, yeah, even before that, you grew up in Connecticut, yep, right? Yep. And you went to college in Connecticut?
2: uh I went to University of Colorado cool and um <clears throat> yeah I grew up I went to high school in Connecticut Born I, here, born here in Manhattan, but grew up there.
0: Grew up, okay, so you go to college in Colorado, which I didn't even know, and I know you very well, which is strange that I don't know that. Man, I went up there to <laughs> ski, bro. <laughs> and then you somehow Playboy, got it Playboy finance.
2: magazine voted at number one party school, and I got to ski four days a week. So Amazing! I was there, man. Why not?
0: And then you moved back here, yeah. And then you started in finance, and like, did you? You weren't wearing the leather jacket. You didn't have the, You didn't look like this. I right? was always wearing a leather jacket, even in finance. I was the, you I looked was like
2: the this? black sheep of. Connecticut for sure, a white bread town, and uh, yeah, I'm just pretty good when I was on Wall Street.
0: So you you were like the rock and roll Wall Street guy, very much so. Yeah. Okay, so the rock and roll never left you. Black sheep everywhere. Black sheep, I love it. And so at a certain point, you're on Wall Street, and you realize this is not for you.
2: Um, look, it was an amazing, amazing experience. Uh, Not so much the part when I blew up in the World Trade Center the first time, but. and we were on the sixth floor, and we thought a plane flew into us back then. But um, what, y- what year was that? This was in 93, I think.
0: Okay, so you're doing finance for a couple of years. You're working at the I World Trade Center. on the sixth Center. floor
2: uh, of Lehman Brothers. And what happened? They, they drove that truck into the basement and, and tried to blow the oh, World I Trade remember Center that, yeah. up. and went off downstairs first. Wow. And we still, we thought a plane flew into the side of the building, and it was like, Crazy man,
0: and, and what walk me through what was going on in your head at that point? Were you just like, did you literally sort of I remember work?
2: everything just falling over on the desk? And I was like, what the fuck just happened? And um, luckily, we were on the sixth floor, so like you know, a lot of our friends were on the top floor in canter Fitzgerald. And and I mean, everyone they got down that time, I, I don't think a lot of people got killed, like 10 or something, maybe, but um. Even that is crazy. It, all the lights were out, all the power was out, people were coming down looking just completely covered in black soot. And uh, it was scary as fuck, man.
0: Wow. And, and so. it when something like that happens, it kind of makes you reevaluate your life in a way. And was that sort of your epiphany to be like, I got to get out of this thing? Because, you know, as much as if people know you, your soul is rock and roll. No one loves music more than you do maybe me but other Uh than me and you we have that bond right where music is like our first passion and love so you were caught in this job like a lot of people are where you're like i'm doing this thing but finance is probably not your thing i mean if you were dressing like this back then someone had a clue (laughs) that this was not your thing maybe there was a different path for you
2: um i man i was in in like i said this very uh white bread type town and uh, I actually after school I actually started a construction company and a, a painting company I was an architecture major so um I had always painted when I was a kid so that was actually before Wall Street and uh I had a girlfriend and she wanted uh, the the white collar guy so you know seems I, to be I not right very you Wall you, Street yeah, yeah you know you it was like fun him. it was it was me I mean as soon as I got down there I was I was hustling I was knocking on the door every day to get the job and uh I was good when I was there, but... Um, did you do well on Wall Street? Did you make money? Yeah. I did okay. Yeah? Um, you know, I was
0: young. I can't picture was, you being was, on Wall Street. It was only, it was only six years. Okay. Um, so what it, ages were you at that time when you God, were on Wall Street? I guess, uh, Was it like your early 20s? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then take me back to the time when you had this sort of epiphany to... Start, you know, to start the nightlife <clears throat> stuff that you did. Because you were one of the guys that started, and when I kind of moved away from New York when I was younger, I had heard about Wax and Sway and all the places you started, but I don't really know the history behind them. It's funny. It started right around the corner here.
2: i just coming down the Cobblestone Street. It was like... We're um, on so Green I, Street and so It was on Mercer, actually. So uh, there was a lot of action on Mercer and, and Green Street. Well, there was about to be, actually. Um, I found this great space. It was... um What was it? It was... I guess it was a clothing store um 113 mercer street was where wax was that was my first bar in new york and how'd you start and it ground. i mean you don't just start a bar out of the blue right did you it was like, it was, was it? empty we had to build it from scratch you know no no plumbing no nothing in there so um
0: so you leave wall street do you get financing to do wax i was
2: building wax uh with my money and a friend of mine's and we had to build it and wait till we got a liquor license so there was a thing back then called the 500 foot rule which didn't exist so I actually built this whole space, designed it, was ready to go and get our liquor license. And then they created this new rule where if, if there are three bars within 500 feet, you have to go through hearings with the state liquor authority and, and the community. And then the community just went crazy on us. So they're like, no. I, I ended up – luckily, I knew everybody in Soho then. So. Yeah,
0: like, What was Soho like back then? Because this was – was this the this was mid-'80s? Right, this was, No, was this
2: was like 95. Uh, okay. I'm uh, totally
0: off the my Mer- head. <laughs> um, so in ninety five, what no, was you're Soho still playing like? in Black Cherry though? <laughs> yeah, no, I think I was out of black cherry by that point. But what was what was Soho like in ninety five? So this is
2: <clears throat> the Mercer Hotel was just going up. That was part of the reason why I really liked that location. I'm like, mm. this is gonna be really cool. And they got held up for um someone actually fell off fell off a scaffolding, one of the builders there. So wow. The Mercer got held up for a year or so. Um, I and I ended up having to get Decisions appealed for to get my license approved. So I actually ended up going through regular court. The, uh had to go back to the Supreme Court. Finally, after like a year of trying to get this liquor license while I'm sitting on a built space, um, the appellate court overturned it, and um, we were good to go.
0: Had you saved enough
2: money at that point to start a bar? Because you really weren't yeah. working during yeah. that time, yeah. right? No. Well, the money was there once, you know, I knew I was going to leave Wall Street once I got that permit so you know I had a couple of friends that put some money in it as well but and what kind of money <coughs> do you
0: have to raise back in 95 to start a? it bar? wasn't much it like wasn't a couple much. hundred and thousand
2: max okay maximum yeah it's interesting um, right because now I had you need friends to... friend my friends were builders that came in and I had friends that did the art and, and I play a big part in all the building of, of my spaces so yeah
0: you're really into the aesthetics of all your spaces yeah. and even now at Butterfly you have and we'll talk about Butterfly in a minute but Damien Hurst provided a lot of the artwork. Yep. I, I don't even know. You would tell me, but the artwork alone in Butterfly Now has got to be worth a couple million. It's more than that, probably, yeah. probably three or four million. So no one robbed that place. Just that <laughs> you didn't hear us say that. But the artwork alone in Butterfly and the artwork at Rose Bar for many years was also like Damien Hurst and all. Extraordinary, all, yeah. yeah, 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 great Hurst, stuff there. Uh, so, so were you involved in the? You were involved in the design uh, back in the day. I designed the whole thing. I mean, I designed all my places. Yeah. And so at what point you op- do you open it up and did anyone we come opened the first it up. Night? It was actually, <clears throat> um, I was living
2: with a friend of ours who you may or may not know. His name was Kelly Cole. and uh, Mike, He does like
0: the t-shirts Mike now White, in White, LA yeah, or something, yeah, the leather jackets or something. We were,
2: we were all hanging out down in Soho back then. And like, you know, Mike Williams, of, uh, you used, Donovan Leach's uh, Nancy Boy band back then. So oh, right, was, right, right. It was a fun little gang. Yeah. So, Kelly and Michael Alton, those guys, had opened up Spy Bar while I was waiting on mine, and we were all living together, so I kind of, like, helped them open that, that up, and then Wax opened, and then it just turned into back and forth every night, like, Spy, Wax, Spy, Wax. But
0: how do you go from being on Wall Street to attract that crowd? Because were you super social at that point? I Very mean, that's, social. Okay, so Very you had social, a ton of friends.
2: Yeah, we were all hanging out at, like, the B Bar back then, and, uh, you know, I was living like a double life, to be honest. Okay. You know, we had this crazy loft where it was like, you know, headbangers ball in our loft every night. I would put right. on a suit to go to work in the morning. I'd leave Metallica in the living room and tell the guys <laughs> to lock the door up behind them. And right. Fucking crazy, crazy mornings, you know. Yeah. So that club went on for how long? Uh, that went on for about three or so years because, you know, for that year that we got held up, I actually, my landlord was cool enough where she let us uh, – pay double the rent the next year to make up for you know being behind so i just at that point i was like man let's just get out from behind this and i found sway uh an old dive bar on hudson and greenwich so i had wax spring. like
0: but, had wax because i just take me back for one second had it made money or was it hard to make money in that business at that point in 95 it right? was it was not easy to make money because you know, we took out, you know, remember
2: there are the big clubs like Tunnel and USA. Right, right. And, right. And those were the big clubs I never went the there, but I heard, yeah. and, and the Club Kid thing. And, mm-hmm. and so they all had VIP rooms in them, but the idea was, let's just take the VIP room out of this whole shit show and create, you know, a 2,000 square foot space that's
0: just totally private. And also the fun. way that you curate all your spaces, it's about the music. So yep. you play the best music in the world. I mean, I'm not partial to it, but it is, or I am partial to it, but it is, you know, Zeppelin to... We were talking the other day you, you played this amazing um Tina Turner whole lot of love like huh. remake to like the call to just all your friends back then it,
2: I remember distinctly it was um my buddy and who you know Nellie Hooper just yeah. produced the soundtrack for Romeo and Juliet mm. the, the old Leo DiCaprio Claire Danes film and every song that he chose for that soundtrack was like basically the soundtrack for wax back then amazing and it was like Great Radiohead tune, Shirley Manson, Garbage. Uh, I've, God, there's so many great songs. Well, you've always been known the Card- for music. He had discovered like the Cardigans then. Nobody Amazing. really knew who Radiohead was then. <clears throat> um, so it was kind of cutting edge, but remixed. Right, right, cool to, to, make, to
0: make a tailor-made for your space. But what was the door policy back then at Wax and oh, Sway? Man. I mean, how did it work? Did you just pick anyone off the street? Because obviously now, even now... You have a door policy, and you can't just get into one of your spaces. The Rose Bar was the hardest place ever to get into, but we'll talk about it in a moment. What a, an amazing wax curated craft. Wax was even craft, harder was than, than Rose Bar. So how, yeah. did, how do you decide on that door policy? I don't remember who, because I wasn't even around during Wax why I was in L.A., but what was the policy? What did you? Who were your door guys, and what did you tell them to sort of curate that amazing I had amazing
2: a, a Swedish girl named Pernilla, who was my first door girl, and... Um, Rob Santiago was there, who I, he's worked with me throughout the years. Um, and Linda Garcia, who ended up running the door at Sway, was one of the door people as well. And basically, no suits were allowed in there, right. period, even if they're cool suits. So you I show
0: wearing that. a suit, you're not getting no in. No way. Right, okay. No way. You have to and wear it, leather.
2: And it was a 50-50 <laughs> ratio. If you didn't have a girl and you're two guys, you were not coming in. It, someone just told me a story the other day about a couple big, super big celebs, and uh, I don't even remember it. But they're like so and so stuck at the door. I think it was Steve West, actually. Right. Who <laughs> <So laughs> so was it? Was it? I think it Axel was like Clooney and like Randy Gerber or JFK Jr. One of those guys. But um, what do you mean they didn't have girls with them and they couldn't get in? Yeah. Hmm. So they came in and got me in the back door. I'm like, yeah, of course. But it was just they're on a rigid orders, like no girls. By the uh, way, I no should entry. I
0: should interject. I had a friend of mine <coughs> meet me the other night at Butterfly and. I guess, you know, I forget um, working the door at Butterfly. Cindy, is, Cindy is sorry. So Cindy uh, said, hey, you know, your friend's outside and, sh- you know, he's got like nine guys with him. I said, that doesn't sound like a friend of mine, but um, are you <laughs> sure? <laughs> I, I don't really have friends that show up with like nine guys anywhere, but okay, sure. I'll tell him maybe he can't, whatever, maybe he can't come in or something. So um, then he finally got in and he's like, I wasn't even with those guys. They were just trying to get in with me. I didn't uh, even know them. Who I was, was like, it? Uh, just this guy, this friend of mine, but I was like, you know, exactly. It doesn't. It. So Cause, even cause now,
2: Shippy and Jordy guy. they got, yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah.
0: So even now that, that policy exists, but so, so, okay. So you got wax, you have sway. Sway is this incredible underground kind of, uh, I, I don't even want to call it a, a den of debauchery. It was a den but of debauchery. It was a den sure, of debauchery. <laughs> right. It was,
2: it was an old dive bar. And, uh, I went to Morocco and filled up a couple of containers and redid all the aesthetics and, rounded all the ceilings and authentic Moroccan tile and, and you know, everything was made there and, and shipped over.
0: Um, and you have any great stories from back in the day on oh Sway? It's dude, still open. Man. It's called like Casablanca now or yeah, something?
2: Or? Yeah. It was Sway for 20 years. Um, dude.
0: I mean, just, I know you can't mention all these stories, but that's part, you know, there are some stories. Up, like, we
2: ended up getting a cabaret license, which was really hard to get at the time. So th- from the time it started out as a lounge, it went into a full-on dance lounge, but, Everyone was off their fucking maracas back (laughs) then. We were pulling the gates down and sleeping on sofas. And if I got out of there, there were people that would be locking themselves in or they got locked in the bathrooms and they'd end up going, look for the staff's names behind the bar because people didn't have cell phones really or they're just coming out. And I'd get calls at six in the morning to unlock people that got locked in the bathrooms (laughs) and having sex and passed out in the basement. And sometimes we would wake up on on the banquettes and be 80 degrees and the sun would be coming out oh man <laughs> I wish I was there back in the day if, I mean, that's if we couldn't like fill the garbage bags up with beer and vodka and just walk a couple blocks back to my house with, right. we would have a 40 person line walk out the door when we close to go back to my house and just after party well, every we, we should
0: talk night. about the fact that you had back at your house a cat which was like a, like a small lion or something right I, I, not not yet um, not at that point okay well you, do, you did I have did a have, small lion at your yes. house well maybe line. a small small Cheetah. cheetah, lion, whatever yeah. it was, um, that could. <laughs> he was you. an African serval. Yeah, I don't, I'm not sure if it was legal, but you had some kind of wild no, animal they're not, in your house. They're not legal, <laughs> right? So, <laughs> so, um, and at what point did you living in Asia come into play? Because you did live with the monks. Was that did, before? When was that in the hierarchy? Was sort
2: of so, we're kind of along this timeline. Um, this was about two thousand and one, two thousand and two. I like was a, getting really burnt. It was like let's see, 96, 95, 96, six years of hardcore being out Party. Every, every night day. of the yeah. week. And I, b- it's amazing then, you're still here Sunday, by that, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, it uh, doubted, didn't matter when. Yeah. So we were out every single night of the week. Um, I was just getting burnt, man. I needed a change. So, um, I did, I moved to London. Uh, I was going to open another project over there, a uh, big project in Mayfair, uh, Berkeley street. And uh, a friend of mine was a developer, and uh, it got held up forever. So, you know, I had just stopped drinking over there, and I was just like, "Let's just clean slate for a little while." And I started doing kung fu, in a place in London called the the Shaolin Temple, UK. Um, and I ended up, I was just waiting for this project to get off the ground. So I ended up training every day, and um, for a couple of years, not two years, and then just still waiting for this project. You know, it's expensive to live in London. Sure, <coughs> um, it still is. It's yeah. <laughs> so uh, the the headmaster at the Shaolin temple in London came from the actual Shaolin temple in China. It's a 1500 year old temple, uh, Kung Fu based Buddhist based. Um, and he got me in as a Westerner, uh, one of his brothers.
0: And what prompts someone like you in the nightclub is to say, I'm going to move to China and live with monks.
2: Because I was already training with the monks in London pretty much full time, like three times a day, every day. And, uh, it would be a lot cheaper for me to live over there and I could just do this full time. And I thought I was going to go for two months, you know, and come back. And,
0: and what's it like when you're living over there? Cause they don't really, they don't speak English. No, no. There's no other, were there Americans? I, there? I was, I was lucky because
2: I learned all my Kung Fu moves in Chinese so I could understand the training, uh, every type of kick, every type of punch, whatever, you know, it was, yeah. so it was easy for me to learn how to train. Um, Mandarin is not hard to learn. So um I
0: mean I can barely yeah, learn English I, I don't know about Mandarin Dubai. I would never <laughs> be able to write it I would never be able to
2: do the calligraphy But picked up on it quick, pretty quick And um there's another uh dude who came over from England That I met after a while And um,
0: So you weren't there alone I, I, I mean, was
2: kinda... there alone I got there in the middle of December It was friggin' snowing out All the monks had gone home Because it's so cold We're literally on the top of a mountain Like have you seen Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon That's it's, what it was it's like It's exactly like no that
0: No cell phone or was there a cell, no like cell phone? Right. No cell phone Right No email, nothing?
2: Uh, email, hmm, maybe not for the first couple months.
0: Um, so do people think you I had to go somewhere to do email? Yeah. Do people so, think you dude, died I mean, at that? We point? didn't have
2: toilets, bro.
0: I can't even imagine. There's no uh, fucking I, toilets, like, No
2: showers you? in the middle of the winter. I showered once a week during the winter.
0: So do people think uh, that you, the toilets uh,
2: were a hole in the ground. That's crazy.
0: So what do people think happened to you? Did they think that you just kind of disappeared? I sent people pictures, man. I told people
2: I was going to check out for a little while. Um, and yeah it' was just like we would get up at four thirty in the morning, right, you know run up in the mountains, uh, do Tai Chi and Qigong on top of the mountain, come back down these crazy stairs are coming into the mountain, like a, a thousand meters of stairs on our hands upside down, and like the workout was insane, kind of what I, I do then, every day exactly every morning exactly now, like. <laughs> <laughs> three steps upstairs. Yeah. so and then we would have breakfast, and then we'd do two and a half hours of kung fu wow. kickboxing basically Chinese kickboxing. It's called sanda. Uh, Take a nap, lunch, two and a half hours, more kickboxing, nap, dinner, practice everything we learned all day and be completely dead tired by like nine and crash. That's incredible. it every day. And then Sundays, it was just like you practice what you learn.
0: I commend you because I can never do that. You know, I have trouble just sort of going to the gym. But um, at some point you come back and you're like, you know, the Rose Bar came up. The idea came up. I think you partnered with Ian Schrager for that, right? Well, I came back and
2: originally it was to do a relaunch of Sway because i was gone and it needed a little love yeah and uh i did uh came back and just had a really fun party with all my friends that i hadn't seen for a while and um funny enough um sean mcpherson and eric good were there that night and they while i was gone they had just bought the maritime hotel and um they had as you remember it the big hero ballroom space
0: Oh, so the so, Hero Bones was before Rose yeah, Bar. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. So this, this is the timeline. Time, there, this
2: is right where you and I met. Right, right. Okay. Um, we met. Uh, so Sean and Eric pulled me aside and said, "Hey, listen, man, we've got this great project." They walked me through it, showed it to me. Like this could be your baby. You'll be our partner.
0: Because you always wanted to kind of have live music as part of what you were doing, and you were always searching for that right venue. I remember. I
2: think they realized that uh, they saw the, the potential before I did because it was originally just the lounge area upstairs. So right. it was, again, it was just a 2,000-square-foot lounge. It was the top mezzanine of this big cavernous, what used to be like a banquet space. But we originally opened that upstairs, and you had to walk in through 17th Street. Because
0: so, it used to be like a Chinese restaurant or something there, right?
2: Uh, it was not. It just uh, it was uh, a home for uh, underprivileged kids. Okay. It was a restaurant at some point. No, they created no? that from scratch. Oh, okay. I think okay. everyone's done from scratch. Okay. Um, which on the other side we built Matsuri which is how the, right, exactly. the Asian influence popped over next door yeah. and Eric and I literally designed Hero in probably a night we sat uh-huh. down overnight had some wine whipped together some IDs we tied it together a
0: little with uh, the Matsuri design with the concept of having live music in a venue instead sort of a lounge Yeah, no. yet okay. first it
2: was just the lounge <clears throat> and then um, We did those shoji screens that that separated the top from the downstairs because it was just too big. You couldn't look out into that. So it was a lounge for like a year um, until they made us move the the entrance because it was too close to a school. So Mm -hmm. then we went all the way around to the other side to 16th Street, which is now actually the Tao entrance. Yeah, I remember that. Um, And then it became a thing where you had to walk through this big cavernous space to get up to our little lounge upstairs. So that's when we decided to make Hero Ballroom part of it. And then we built out the stage and, and all the lighting and, and the soundboards and all that stuff. And then we started having some really fun shows. So who did you have play there? You did have Guns N' Roses play there. You have, I feel like Jane's Addiction might have played yep, there. Yeah, we did Jane's Addiction, Beck, tons of people. I remember we did Maroon 5 from Maria Sharpo's birthday. Um, Aretha Franklin. It was an epic place. I mean, I guess we I can mean, the last one was the Guns N' Roses. That's That was the goodbye show. All where right. like... Because I had already opened Electric Room at that time, so
0: and uh, and we, I actually remember the story. It's a, a great story. So Vince Neil, we, I was like, let's get Motley Crue to perform. And me and were I mean, you, I remember the ours. original invitation. Yeah, what did we, it say? I don't remember. It, it. was
2: your anniversary, and yeah. Vince Neal was on, and I remember the drawing
0: on it. And yeah, we, yeah. So we, me and my buddy Robbie Hoppin, one of my best friends, we were going to play drums with uh, Vince Neal's band and like perform Motley Crue songs. So I learned like. Kickstart my heart, uh, <laughs> too fast for love, or whatever. All those songs were, and by the way, not easy songs to play on the drums because Tommy Lee's a great drummer. And we learned songs. Vince Neil came in and at the last minute. He was like, I don't know if he got sick or something happened. We flew him here. He was staying at the Maritime, and then he like yeah. canceled. I remember it was like Labor Day, it's probably or fucking hungover something, but it, it was definitely like a holiday that weekend. And the and the party was on a Tuesday. It was Fashion Week. And you and I start going through artists to perform. And you said, what about Scott Whelan and you know, <coughs> Scott Whelan solo at, band? And I said, I, you know, I love Stone Temple Pilots, but I don't know if people are going to really respond in the fashion community to the solo Scott Whelan stuff. And then you said,
2: Courtney Love. Right. And, uh, <laughs>
0: and I remember calling her manager, at AD, who I'm good friends with. And he's like, well, you know, what, there's other artists. And what about this one and that one? And I said, no, I think Courtney would be cool. And, and, uh, the only story, the the real story that I can remember is like we kind of, Courtney was said something like I don't know who Scott is or one is if it's he was some Didn't like
2: she have like all the band play without her and just have you run through the songs first yeah and so then, so from the then story then he, I remember
0: she basically was like if he's some like you know designer on the drums I'm not coming if he's not like a real drummer and so. You know, she kind of was like, "I think I'll do," and then didn't. Nobody heard from her for like a day, and we started flying in the band members from like London and San Francisco, just figuring, "Hey, you know, we're we're gonna give this a go." And I asked JD, the manager, "Can I play drums with her?" And he's like, "You know, just come to soundcheck. We'll figure out." He didn't really give me a definitive. So I had not really learned the songs that well because I still didn't know about us performing. So I show up at soundcheck. I play a couple songs, courtesy of you and your relationship with Courtney. And, you know, I think the band after like a song or two called her and said, hey, uh, this guy's you know, pretty good. Yeah, whatever <laughs> they said. And so she walks in and she said, oh, uh, I heard you're, uh, you know, better than our drummer. And I'm like, well, I don't know about that. Thank you. But let's play a song. We played a song it was this amazing kinetic energy. I, I, I guess it worked in my favor that I didn't really learn the songs that well. Had a bit of yeah, that a sloppy punk rock thing which improv she going on there. And, yeah, we, we played the show at your spot. It was epic. It was the 10-year anniversary, and that was yeah, about a month later. I ended up uh, playing in Re- Brazil with her in front of, like, 40,000 people. Um, I love
2: seeing connections like that happen. Yeah, so that out. was
0: all because of you. So that was pretty awesome. So thank you. So mm-hmm. after Hero, you went on to have Electric Room, uh, or actually the Rose Bar was next, Rose right? Rose Bar was next. So Rose Bar. So the only thing I'm going to say about Rose Bar, and there, we could do a whole episode based on the Rose Bar, is... And I tell this story all the time there. I've never seen such an incredible, eclectic, curated mix of people. You would have Kate Moss sitting next to hmm. Lenny Kravis, sitting next to Tommy Hilfiger, sitting next to Bill Clinton or Mick Jagger, or, you know, models, politicians. You know, nightlife. I mean, it was this incredible mix of uh, people that I've never seen before in my whole life, and I don't think it'll ever be recreated like that ever again.
2: I agree with you. Um, what was it about uh, the yeah, Rose Bowl that had I that? got a call from Ian Schrager, who I, hadn't, I didn't know at the time. Um, of course, I knew of him. But, um, man, I remember I walked into his wall, into his office, and he had this Vanity Fair article, which had, like, the kings and queens of New York, and it was pinned on his wall. And it was everybody, everyone you can imagine in the business. So he interviewed everyone, and eventually... Um,
0: well, he also started Studio <clears> 54. <throat> of course which he did, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah
2: started Studio 54 and started the boutique hotel business, and um, Ian's a legend. So um, it was pretty cool. And um, we put the tail end of the room together. The hotel was being finished. Julian Schnabel worked on it. The art was insane. Uh, AB, AB contributed a lot of art from his collection. So, yeah, we had Basquiat's and Orhol's and Hearst's and... Just amazing. So you know, the point of this room is to be like a living room parlor, which nobody had really done to this level at the time. Super classy, chic. Um
0: and you had this great idea to do these pop up secret concerts called the Rose Bar Sessions we did yep. together and we actually yep. had uh G and R we had Guns N' Roses and we had velvet Revolver and Black Keys and then you also did a few on your own too. Um but I remember it was again like you're talking yeah, having about having shows of,
2: like that, you know, with, with Guns of Roses and hundred and fifty people max in the room. But packed. the best
0: looking audience ever and the most it incredible. Phenomenal. Audience. Yeah, that it was, was so much fun, man. Yeah. Those
2: things were great. Yeah. The Black Keys show was like people were just starting to hear about the Black Keys. I loved them at the time and, and man they blew up right after that. But yeah. those were epic shows. To have those basically it's like having a stadium band performing in your living room.
0: Well, it speaks volumes when you have bands like Guns N' Roses that are playing in front of a hundred or one hundred and fifty people. For you, yeah, right, because you called them. I mean, I knew them a little bit, but you were really good friends uh, with those Axl. guys.
2: Those guys did me big time favors, man. Yeah. And I can't thank them enough. Axel, thank you, buddy. Um, so you called yeah.
0: Axel, even Tubit. How do you get like? Because we did it together, but you really got them to play, right? So how do you get a band like? Guns and Roses to perform at, in front of a hundred people.
2: Man, it's all relationships and they were doing some bigger shows and, and it actually, I think Axel had mentioned it. It's like, yeah, no, I really want to do smaller shows. And I don't think he was thinking about as small as Rose Bar, but um, he didn't
0: mean like 20 people. He <laughs> <I> didn't mean <laughs> he like a hundred people, <laughs> right. but,
2: um, he meant like 5,000. Put it together, man. And I had a, a friend of mine who I was doing the stuff with Brent Hawking. Um, he had a tequila brand called Delion, and, um, Man, he was really into what we were doing, and and it was right when he was launching his brand. So, he helped me cover costs for for you know production and all that. So like the band would do me a favor, and then I had money coming in from Deleon Tequila, to uh, which has since been sold to to Puffy. But
0: I think we had the Cult play too, right? We did then the, the, cult, right.
2: We did the Cult, We did the Cult. We did the Black Keys. We like
0: then you did God, you? Man, I, did, I think you did um, Sean Lennon on your own. After that, I think years yeah, later I saw yeah, one. There's of those. a bunch of man. Yeah. Well, never to be recreated. That was the best looking audience I've ever seen in any spot ever in any place I've ever been in my life. So, kudos. For some reason, I thought the span was a lot longer than four years because I had my own like table set up and I was there like literally <laughs> three nights a week, and it was incredible. So,
2: well, that that was when like you know the banking crisis happened. So, right? as soon as that happened, hotel occupancies got crushed, and you know there was the hotel was not doing well at the time. So that's you know. I came on board to the inn, and then he got bought out, and it just wasn't the same after that.
0: It's so. interesting because I've been back there since a few times in the last few years, and it's so much about the people in these spots because you go in now, and literally I know no one. And I feel like I know so yeah. many people in New York, thousands, Those right? were all
2: It was all friends. I mean, yeah. we knew everybody in that room. It was friends and family in, in our living room. And the toughest
0: sure. door policy ever. You couldn't get in there. I mean, unless you were, like, <laughs> friends with you or something. Even I, I think there was times I'd walk <laughs> up and there was, like, a new door guy. I was like, wait a minute, I'm going to have, like, a table. I'm like, you're not getting in. I'm like, <laughs> but it was the hardest door policy, actually the hardest. But it was a great room. A great room. But there's something to be said about that curation that you did. And so then you go on to have the electric room. Yep. And then that exists for a period of... We
2: did, at that time, it was actually... Um, where I did that restaurant, Kenmare and Don Hill's. Right, I right. was juggling the three oh, Don of those. Three Hill's, I keep forgetting so many spaces, time. yeah. Yeah, so Don Hill was a buddy of mine, and um, uh, we took that over with Paul Seveny and um, we did actually our best shows ever there, man. Yeah. But more, we called them the Nurcon sessions, but I did those with, with my buddy Brent Delion and um, man, our opening week was like back-to-back. Iggy First, Pop. Jack White dead weather Moss mossart and, and the gang yeah uh, that was like a teaser before we renovated it um sick fucking show it's the last night of their tour and um it was like 100 degrees god bless them they were like super good sports but uh and then we opened up fashion week and what was the first night was
0: you definitely had iggy pop play there first that. night
2: was black rebel motorcycle club second night was iggy pop um which like both of those like this just kicked off the whole week this was like right when Boom Boom Room was open like the second second fashion week maybe and, yeah. and we had everybody in this grungy die bar that we all loved you know it was like three blocks deep of people for that Iggy Pop yeah. show to get in amazing and then we did Iggy and then we did Courtney and, and yeah. Hole yeah uh,
0: that was we, probably one of the best venues for you because again you have always wanted to do the live room yeah. thing and that was a great venue and it was for authentic you. yeah and it was you know, great so somebody should bring that place back. Yeah, What's gonna, it, never gonna it's never going to come back. I guess right. Yeah. Even after that,
2: so and we had the yeah yeah yes, and we had Crystal Castles, and that was just five days in a row. Um, that was in launch. So but, any
0: stories about Don Hill that you could tell us? Because I mean, he was a great guy. He was an older guy who loved music. But Don any Hill's stories amazing, about that man. about <clears throat> that venue or about the times there, about anything that happened that night? Because there's so much debauchery over the years that have happened at mm. your spots. But I know you can't tell about ninety five percent of the stories. But I feel like. Yeah, yeah. There are some stories that need to be told.
2: I don't know, man. I mean, God, they all get so blurry after all this amount of time. But uh, you know, Iggy Pop coming in. I think he like. Remember my door girl Megan. Yeah. I think like one night he just pissed on her shoes and he was in the dressing room and she's like, "Thank you, thank you." Iggy Pop just pissed on. (laughs) I mean, how does that work? How does that happen?
0: He's just like, "I'm not going to use the restroom. I'm going to pee on your shoes." I mean, it's punk rock. I guess right. (laughs) Right. That's what you do. Um, At 65, yeah. <laughs> he's still doing that too because he's <laughs> no shirt like, on. yeah. yeah. yeah guy I mean, looks better was, than me. That may that have days.
2: been one of the best shows we ever did. Yeah. That was nuts. Definitely. Um, but, you know, it's just a, it's a bummer, man, because Don was a really good friend of ours and, you know, one day I was going to get the banks from him and I'm, I'm texting him and I didn't get any answer and, and he just passed away, man. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, he lived a life. Though, it was a right month-to-month now. lease that he had always had there from day one. So, um, you know, people want to develop over there and, uh, it was, they, yeah. didn't wanna, they didn't want to they didn't want to keep the lease going.
0: Well, I feel like every inch of New York is being developed into some kind of That's high exactly rise, why, business. yeah. So, yeah. So, so, you go through all these spots. Take us to today. I mean, culture has changed incredibly. I mean, obviously there's a whole new millennial thing that uh you and I are not super connected to, but yet you open up a new spot yep. uh in Thompson Hotel with John McDonald's um and so and it's called Butterfly, right? Correct. Butterfly Soho. Yep. And um, and tell us about – because I was there – I mean, basically, that's my home now because that's the new <clears throat> Rose Bar for me. But when I'm in town now, I obviously, I'm always hanging at your spots. And it's about walking into a spot like that. Within a minute's notice, I have all my friends around me. Yeah. And it's this incredible collection of people again. So you're sort of recreating the Rose Bar era in a way, right? And so how did Butterfly Soho come about? Well, I mean, I
2: feel like there was something that was missing since the first – half a rose bar because they turned it in they put disco balls in there and took the pool table out so it turned into something very different than what we originally loved about it um and i had felt that had been missing from new york for a long time and so um i just tried to figure out what i thought was missing especially design wise like if you walk around butterfly you know every little corner has a very special detail and it's different in every way and, and it's just very cool and unexpected i think um uh we designed with this with a friend of ours named jason volanek and um it started out as uh there's an italian designer named carlo molino who i was we really liked the design of his spaces and he did his dream home in italy this guy died in the 70s but uh it started out with he had a lot of leopard skin on his walls and one particular area he had this butterfly cabinet which was pretty cool i thought so that was the initial inspiration and we started with that
0: and yourself jason pomerantz yeah so jason owns the hotel
2: right john mcdonald is my partner who we go way back back to when i opened wax he had a place on mercer street block away called merc bar right and he also you has know, lure fish course, bar of course john, john, john McDonald's legend for yeah. lure fish bar merc bar bowery meat mm-hmm. company Uh, Toro Blanco I mean it's such a small scene in New York I literally saw him this morning at the Mercer so (laughs) like that's how so we we actually known each other forever and uh, God I would run out of booze and I have to send my people up to Merck Bar to get bottles at the end of the night and who knows what happened back then but um, we'd known each other for a long time and kind of always wanted to do a cool little I think we both see eye to eye on the small spaces and and we both felt there was something missing in New York for like something that's a little more mature and again what you and I like and we just want to play our music like If you're in our living room, you know, I'm not playing stuff for everybody else because it's a giant club and you have to play shitty music. Yeah. So, um,
0: and when you have Corinne Rothfeld or like a Gucci after party, I mean, they all come to your spot. That's your, that's the hot spot for fashion. Yep. You've always had a knack. We've had our connection too, and you've always had a knack of curating this fashion and music and live events. And so now, um, Walk me through like today because it is a different generation. And I maybe some people thought, you know, isn't there going to recreate this? But in fact, you have recreated what you did before, and it's crowded. And you know, there's not that many great spots if you're an adult that people like to go to in New York, that they're not like you know nightclubs, right? Yeah, so yeah. it's one of these spots I hang with and, and, and that, I, that I go to that I think is for adults like mature, that you can p- listen to great music and there's a great restaurant below, Leo, yep. Bistro Leo. Um, so how did you sort of curate what this is now, given that culture's changed, it's all about <clears throat> social media, it's all about a new generation, right? Kids, it's a different generation we're connected to, right? Yeah, so yeah. How, did, how did you sort of help curate what's going on there now?
2: Um, well, look, I mean, we open, opened up right before the summer, which I've never done before. So we made a little bit of a splash, and then we had to just kind of simmer over the summertime. So it really, like, just kicked off. It's just kicking off now, Um September and October. Here we are, you know, beginning of November. And, you know, you were here last weekend. It's great, man. Yeah. Um, New York Times just, wrote an article about it. Yeah, I, New York Times. Um, not tons of press, but people are really aware of it right yeah. now people that so don't like know like i'm, I'm <laughs> <laughs> i've yeah. got to beef up my staff after last weekend but um yeah it seems like it's catching on it seems like uh this is what i thought was missing we didn't have a great living room and a place where you know the music isn't too loud and it's just not shitty music it's it, i don't have to play for a crowd because it's not a dance club right, so, right. so you know it's it's just a great loft party and and you're most fascinating friends living room that's weird and eccentric and we've got, you know, millions of dollars of Damien Hurst art on the walls, one of the the cabinet that I was talking about before I made from scratch. Oh, that's right. Damien actually that. gave me the butters butterflies for right, it. So right. it was it started out with that little cabinet and then it kinda evolved and, you know, we we did those crazy rugs, you know, by ourselves and then that's when, you know, Sante D'Arazio obviously did... Um, Another part of the original Posse? Three of the big, yep. My homeboy, Sante, did uh, three beautiful pieces that were part of Versace's last show. Awesome. Which we actually we were at. Um, I remember that. It was in Milan. So um, so
0: how has New York nightlife changed for you and you think changed in general like over the last 25, 30 years? Because you were the guy that started, for me, what was the cool factor of New York nightlife. So it's evolved. It's changed. People's tastes have changed. Again, it's a lot about kids, right? So like where do you see it's gone and and how do you see like staying relevant you this is a relevant spot and it's one of the hot spots in New York and so how how do you feel like that's come to fruition given where people's tastes and cultures have gone
2: you know that's an interesting question but I've always tried to stay relevant by doing a 180 degree turn opposite of what everyone else is doing at the time um I felt there was a niche missing, missing um, with the small room that, that had that living room vibe that's, you know, it's cheers, man. All your friends are here and, and uh, it's true. Now you start to walk in and you just know everybody in every corner. It's, it's awesome. Like, I haven't felt that in a long time. So, I, you know, I don't hang out at nightclubs. I haven't in a long time. It's just not my thing. So, I can't say what's really...
0: I think the music has a big... Does, plays a big part uh, in, in so the ambience in the space. How do you pick... The music, you have great DJs, right? But are you personally creating the playlist? Are you there sort of saying, hey, play Zeppelin, The Cult, and, you know, this Depeche movie? No, we're not
2: really playing that stuff. You know, we're playing more electro rock, I would say. You know, we're not, we're not doing the Led Zeppelin. I've never played a Led Zeppelin song in Butterfly yet. I haven't played a cult song yet. Except
0: for the Tina Turner, a whole lot of except love Except for the her. new one that you like, <laughs> so, Tina Turner, a whole it's, lot I of love I don't think it's we, new. It's in this we from used to play that right? in Rose Bar, but yeah. I'm glad you just discovered it. <laughs> <laughs> I think
2: I discovered it before, but I just heard it recently. Because, I mean, when it comes on on, on the third round in the UFC fight last week, <laughs> right. and I had to call you and tell you that <laughs> yeah. it's, it's relevant, buddy. It is. I don't know. How. I just rediscovered
0: <laughs> this song from the 70s. But So, are you personally picking out the music or do you let your DJs just do what they want?
2: So, I'm lucky enough that my djs have been with me forever Two, like two of them i gave their first gigs at sway so they know my head inside and out um i don't have to say anything from at at this point anymore you know it's like play what we want to play what all you guys would play in your living rooms don't even worry about playing to the crowd and if people want to be a part of what we're doing then come hang out you know and it works well i think that's that's our little niche market and i don't think anybody can even copy it um could you see like a butterfly la a butterfly london i would london? love to do yep yeah. so i think this is the one that we we brand for sure it works it works in any major city i, I would think la makes most sense in hotels um, you would see that yep. kinda as a yep. you like, always kind of yeah i of. i like with being hotels. in hotels now um It's just nice to feed your people, put them in beds, one-stop shopping, you know, nightlife. So, yeah, I'd love to do a spot in L.A. I'd love to do something in Vegas. London, I think, would be the first three that make sense.
0: Well, part of the reason you and I are such great friends is you're authentic. And I think the bands feel that authenticity with you, right? You're friends with so many artists. You're friends with the guys in Guns N' Roses and The Cult and Kate Moss, whoever, right? They feel that thing with you that you're like one of them you're a musician in a sense you're like the only musician who's not a musician that should be a musician is nerd right? we've
2: always yeah it's funny we've always been musicians bars so musicians artists Jack fashion, White, fashion, whoever, have, right? yeah i've always yeah. gravitated to to what we play in, in in the bars. so that's cool man
0: well i could say that because again it is 11 12 in the morning and you're dressed <laughs> like it could be three in the morning still. so it's great i love it well hey man what's 2020, I mean, I feel like I see you three or four times a week when I'm in New York, yep. but uh, anything on the slate for NER and Butterfly and anything else coming up that you want to uh, talk about? You should follow NERCON on Instagram, right? You'll see pictures of occasionally uh, our buddy Norman Reedus, me, or whoever it is, right? Uh, and definitely Butterfly Soho. Yeah. Um, but what's, what's on the slate for 2020?
2: 2020 uh, is just getting this, this place up and running um, and firing on all cylinders cool really yeah maybe and a little, maybe a little traveling in the winter yeah if you had one sort of <laughs>
0: wish where you could because you always go to these exotic locations right is there one place that you haven't been that you really want to go 2022 hmm, man uh i don't know because i hung out with you in like thailand i believe yeah, right? yeah yeah
2: thailand's still one of my favorites i used
0: to go to bali a lot but thailand i like because you know it's always i, I it's, can kickbox there um, it's always but, interesting with Nerve because like you're hanging out in Thailand and like you know Pete darty shows up at the <laughs> house so I'm like what the fuck you know like what, what's that yeah, I mean it's never funny. like a dull that moment I'm like what is he doing here <laughs> we're in Thailand right Puffy, yeah.
2: Puffy Pete Darty yeah, shows up at our house whoever right Scotty I get you in town
0: and <laughs> yeah. I see you riding on elephants I mean, and I've never seen you yeah. more
2: scared in my life than I when get, you're on that elephant I guy. get
0: paid by the footsteps so just be careful but um, hey man such a pleasure I'm gonna see you while I'm leaving tonight back to L.A., but you are my one-stop shop when I'm in New York, one of my closest friends, uh, and the reason why I play music still to this day in our con. So check out Butterfly Soho. Uh, listen to Nir's musical taste, because if you guys haven't been to a spot... You, too, will Shazam the hell out of a, a playlist happening there.
2: Thursday, Friday, and Saturday for the DJs. Okay.
0: So the other nights, it's, it's open. What it's When is playlist. it open, by the way?
2: Tuesday through Saturday. Okay, cool.
0: So uh check out Butterfly Soho 2020. I'm sure there's a lot in store. I'm sure we'll be on some more adventures. And next time I have you on the show, we're going to tell, like, all the juicy stories <laughs> that we couldn't think of this time. But there's plenty of them that... Are probably I don't know R rated and maybe not <laughs> uh, for PG or <laughs> so we'll put a sticker on this episode but thanks brother thanks, thanks buddy. for stopping in.
1: You're listening to Lips LA with Scott Lips.
0: Hey guys, well that was awesome having Nur here was such a great time and uh, an old friend and super uh, super fun chat. I want to let you know today the show is being brought today by the good folks at Thursday Boot Company, a bootstrap startup that makes the best handcrafted boots and sells them direct to consumer at some of the lowest markups in the footwear industry. These shoes are selling for $149 starting when other shoes of the the same quality are $400 plus. You guys have seen me wear these in many photos, my favorite boots in the whole world. Thursday's Boots, go check it out. There's a store in Soho. They're sold online everywhere and uh, make sure you pick up a pair of Thursday's Boots. More importantly, they've gotten over 20,000 five-star reviews from real customers. So check it out at Thursday's Boots on Instagram. One of my favorite sponsors, and uh, thank you.
1: Dennis Quaid here and I want to tell you about The Orange Tree. Now I have recently started a podcast network called Audio Up and much as I prepare for movie roles I've been researching the podcast landscape and listening to hundreds of podcasts. One in particular stopped me in my tracks. The Orange Tree. It's a true crime podcast series told with such authenticity and care by Haley Butler and Tinu Thomas two journalists who were University of Texas students when they started reporting on the story. It's about the 2005 murder of a young woman named Jennifer Cave near the University of Texas at Austin campus. What struck me most was the thorough examination of the case and the exclusive access granted to these two young reporters. What makes this true crime story so unique is their perspective. They're two young women who are the same age as Jennifer Cave and at very similar points in their lives. The Orange Tree is engaging, it's thoughtful, and really, really powerful. Take a listen to The Orange Tree on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts today. In Lauren Lake's courtroom, there is no nonsense. Lame, 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 Lame. Don't talk when I'm talking. Just results. Mr. Jackson, you are the father. <laughs> Live it. Own it. Be it. You see it?
0: Listen to Lauren Lake's paternity court on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts.